It's Baxi's musical podcast. Did you ever catch wind of a concert that seems so implausibly perfect that the very idea that you might miss it is enough to make your head explode? A show where under normal circumstances you might be willing to chew through the crust of the earth just so that you can pay the exorbitant third-party service fee so that you could be there? Well, I certainly do because somebody, and I don't know who, came up with a mind-blowing idea to have They Might Be Giants perform at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles on July 15th with one of my all-time favorite bands, Sparks. Now, if you know anything about either Sparks or about They Might Be Giants or both, then I'm sure that you can understand both the enormity of the show and the difficulty of making arrangements to get there and back to Springfield, Massachusetts the following day so that you could do some dumb little radio show. It's inconvenient, but the idea of the show is no less intriguing. This, in my opinion, is perhaps the greatest double bill that I've ever heard of. I have been a fan of these guys for the last 37 years, ever since they released their debut album in 1986 when I was still in college. 23 studio albums later, I still love listening to their records. In my opinion, you cannot be in a shitty mood and listen to They Might Be Giants at the same time. It's simply not possible. From the very moment that I heard their first single, Don't Let's Start, in 1986, they have been a consistent breath of fresh air, especially amidst the dour and moody stuff that we were listening to at the time, like The Cure and The Smiths. Great stuff if you like being sullen and depressed. They Might Be Giants were aggressively succeeding in making you smile, even if it was against your will. And they did it by being masters of their craft and by not resorting to becoming an easily dismissed novelty act, which may be one of their biggest accomplishments. They Might Be Giants are some of the most quirky, creative, insightful, intelligent, hilarious, and phenomenal songwriters since, well, Sparks. That's why the idea of putting them together on the same stage is absolutely amazing. At the time of the interview that I did with John Flansburg, They Might Be Giants had just released their latest album entitled Book, which, interestingly enough, was also being released with a companion coffee table book at the very same time. The problem with that album and with the book is that it was to be produced and released during the middle of a pandemic, and the tour that had been planned around that release was to include a full live performance of their entire 1990 classic album, Flood. But just like everybody else, COVID messed up those plans. Today, They Might Be Giants is back on the road playing Flood and a bunch of other stuff, touring the United States, including the show at the Hollywood Bowl with Sparks. Then they head to Australia and then back to Europe later in the year, with many of those shows already being sold out. So to get the chance to speak to John Linnell, the other 50% of They Might Be Giants, amidst everything that's gone on, is a pretty rare treat. And I couldn't be happier to be speaking with John Linnell from They Might Be Giants on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, John, how are you? I'm well. I'm just going to plug in some headphones. Okay, all right. Okay, good. All right, well, we'll just, we can just start talking then. That's totally fine. So, how are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, about just after the last album was released in, in 2021, I interviewed John Flansburg, and, uh, and he was great. It was a lot of fun. And I wanted to ask you the very same question that I opened up when I talked to him. And, uh, and I just want to see if your answer is, is any different because I found his answer to be 
completely unsatisfactory. But here is the question is, after all yes. after all of these years in a uh, in a steel cage death match, who finally wins? Adam Ant or XTC? Oh. Well, I think the point of the song really is that uh is is that your expectations are confounded, right? <laughs> that you, that you, that I think that's the John Flansburg wrote the song, so I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak too much for him, but but I, my sense is that that's the whole point: is that you have this notion that one party is the winner, and <laughs> and then you're surprised. And I think that's really all there is to it. It's, it's yeah, uh, you know. yeah. Well, I mean, his, his argument to me was that the argument never ends, and there can actually be no answer. And and, and I don't even know how you put up with him with that kind of answer. Um, you know, that's, I, I agree. I, I, I like, I like, I like uh, mystery and ambiguity. I think John does. I think John agrees with me, you know, that we, uh, we like the idea of things being unresolved. I like the, um, I like the notion that there was no right answer to what happened at the end of, uh, the last season of the Sopranos, you know, that everybody was demanding to know what it meant. And I felt like, well, I was satisfied. It just, we don't know. So in a way, we're in the same position as Tony Soprano. We just don't even know what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the parallel is is is, uh, is very good. <laughs> I'm, as I said to him, I'm a big fan of, of XTC and, and, and got a chance to talk to yeah. Andy Partridge. So, you know, to me, until Adam Ant returns my phone calls, I'm leaning only one direction <laughs> here, so. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, personally, I think I'm with you. Like, yeah. I, 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 I probably listen to a lot more XTC than I listen to Adam Ant. Uh, in fact, I I own XTC records. I don't think I own any Adam Ant <laughs> records. Um, but for the purposes of the song, we're just going to say the jury is still out. Yeah, it's a, that it's a, it's a, for artistic sake, it's a draw. Exactly. <laughs> So I, a while back, I, I got a notification, and I when I saw it on my phone, I I, I could not believe it. Uh, it was the notification that you guys were playing at the Hollywood Bowl with Sparks, and I thought the the moment I heard that, I said that is the greatest double bill I have ever heard of in oh. my life, and it's two thousand miles away. Tell me about that, and how did that happen? Because it's it makes my head spin and just pop right off my my shoulders. I know. Well, well, first of all, it's it's we're delighted that Sparks is having a kind of a revival moment like that. Uh, that's a band that uh, J- John and I both have been fans of for since we were teenagers. In fact, uh, when I met John Flansburg, uh when we were when we were in high school, he was he was I think he may already have been really, really particular to this, to uh, the work of Sparks. And um as I recall, when the album Propaganda came out, he didn't have his driver's license, but he got his mom to drive him to the mall, the, literally the day it came out, only for the purpose of buying the new Sparks album. Wow. So he, he was a really serious fan. I mean, I was I was getting the reflected uh, enthusiasm <laughs> mostly from John, but he uh, he was really deeply into them. Uh, so, you know, we, and, and we kind of thought in a, in a way like, they were on a kind of low boil for for most of the last forty years, I guess. Yeah, you know, I don't think they've I don't think they've ever had big hits in the United States that I'm aware of. In the in um, the United States, no, but I mean, but in England they were they had a, a number of hits, but America right. virtually ignored them. 
Yeah. So it was really exciting to, I mean, we, you know, we, we watched, I watched the uh, documentary, the recent mm. documentary about them and also the film that they uh, wrote the, all the music for. Annette. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, this, it seems like the last year they've been really having a, a kind of a great resurgence. I think I, I, you know, you'd have to talk to our, our booking agent about the details of us getting on this bill, because I think that we, probably threw our hat in the ring at some point, you know, but I don't know whether we, you know, I don't think we had any special leverage. So we were, again, it was just like this really nice thing that we get, we've never played with them before and we've never met them. Um, uh, so we're, we're, you know, it's very, it's, it's a big thrill for us to get to do this. I took my oldest daughter last year that they played at the, uh, the Bosch center in, uh, in Boston. And yeah. It was fun. It was just fantastic. I mean, you know, first of all, these guys are a little bit younger than my dad, and I've never seen such enthusiastic seventy-year-old men bouncing on the stage the way. Oh yeah, uh, the yeah, way Russell no, it's, did. It's really infectious, and the idea that there's going to be a show somewhere in the world where both of you are playing is—it's just mind-boggling. There's so many parallels in a way between they might be giants and and sparks that it, it's really kind of interesting. It's like you know, you've both released a lot of records. You guys have released 23 or, or so. They've released 25. You know, lyrically, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between the way you guys write lyrics and the way Ron Mail writes lyrics. They're they're creative, they're genius, they're, they're hilarious oftentimes, but always very, very clever. And I wish I was just just a little bit closer to Hollywood to see that. Yeah, I know. Well, th thanks for saying that. I I, I um. You know, obviously, like I suggested, we, they've had an influence on us. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I think we, I think we kind of felt like they were one of the important bands when we were starting out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we're obviously different in a lot of ways, but but I I hope that I'm hoping this is an opportunity to for us to pick up some Sparks fans, yeah. actually, you know, like that, that would be a great, that would be a great result for us. I've been a fan of, of they might be giants since literally the day the, the first record came out. I was working in college radio at the time, you know, it's 1986 and you were playing nothing but you know, the cure and the Smiths and sisters of mercy and joy division, all these morose, depressing dirges. And all of a sudden <laughs> don't let start comes around. And it's like this infectious breath of fresh air. In fact, I still, Still got a copy of the first record uh, nice. right here, and it even has even has the uh, the lyric sheet, which was you know, a separate, ah, right. separate piece of paper on there. And uh, I've kept it in pretty decent shape, but well um, but it's it's one of those things that at the at the at the time, if you put everything in context, it was it was so unique and and different, but seemed kind of fully formed at, at the time. How did you guys get to the point where you say, okay, this is what the two of us? are going to be and and can we be truthful to it for forever i mean how did you get to that point well well we we i would say we did not uh try and define what we were doing Un unlike other projects that we've done where there was kind of an idea you know i was in a i was in a sort of new wave band before john and i started doing this and he was in other projects and i think that there was a more there was more of a definition of the band in those cases and the thing with john and i was we didn't really want to decide what it was we we just wanted to do stuff we liked and kind of have it be as 
rangy and and free as 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 uh well i suppose it's like whatever the overlap between what john and i are into is is sort of what defines it you know and that that was and we didn't articulate what that was you know we just we just decided this is this is we're just gonna do stuff we like and see where it goes but to use humor in in songs at, at that point it was kind of unusual or maybe even frowned upon but when you guys did it it wasn't it never came off jokey or or like a novelty act. You guys were never ever that. Did you guys, when you first started, like you know, playing in front of people, did you sense that it was that different, or were you just you know, it's just two guys having fun? I think there was a little bit of. I think I, don't, I can't speak for John, but I think I I was a little scared that people would think we were um, we were doing something that was that was not straight enough, not following not meeting their expectations. You know, in, in particular, the first time we ever started touring, you know, we were we started playing in places where we just get booked. And I think people that we, you know, had never heard of us were showing up because this was their regular place where they'd go see bands. So we, you know, we'd be in like Norfolk, Virginia or someplace and not know a single person in the audience, which was brand new weird experience for us because we were used to playing in new york to our friends you know uh and and so it was it was intimidating it was it was like are they gonna hate us you know like we i don't i have no idea what we mean to these people um so i definitely had a, a i was a little bit of a, a a little afraid and i think john was more defiant in a way he was like we're just gonna do our show we're gonna we're going to do exactly the thing we do, and if they don't like it, that's tough. I was reading that at one point, and you know, Wikipedia was the, was the source, so take that for what it's worth. But, yeah, for, yeah. but, but for a brief time, you went to uh, UMass Amherst and was a student there for, yep. for, for a while, and then, you le and then you left because you were looking to pursue music and wound up pursuing music with, with John. What was your parents' reaction to that? Because if one of my kids told me we're leaving college to do something like that, I would, I would, oh, yeah. I would not take that well. I think they were they were not particularly uh, excited or, or or approving, but they were they were very, you know, I had I had liberal northeastern parents who like <laughs> you know, uh, they believed in creativity. Like I would say that was the probably our 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 household religion was you know express yourself. I'm sure they were concerned. And uh, yeah, I think I wrote a letter to my dad saying, um, this is why I'm, I was wanting to take a year off from college, right? <laughs> Which I'm still, I'm still on the year off now. <laughs> uh, but uh, at the, that's how I presented it at the time. And, and um, you know, and then we, and then we had a long conversation about it. And he said, well, you sound like you, this is specifically what, what he, what kind of, you know, I took away was he, he said, well, you, you, you probably think you're, you're superior to going to school at this point <laughs> and you might change your mind about that later, but you know, there's, this is what, this is where you're at now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, and I felt slightly like gotten, but the band I joined was, was a professional working new wave band. We had, we had gigs and we had, uh, a manager and stuff. So it, it, it became pretty real right away. It was yeah. this called the mundanes out of Providence, Rhode Island. 
and uh, so it was it was very real. It wasn't it wasn't like they might be giants, which was much more of a homemade kind of a project. Um, and I think that was where they were concerned was when I quit the mundanes and started just doing this thing with John Flansburg. I think everybody was like, "Oh, how are you going to make a living doing that?" You know, because uh, <laughs> the other thing actually made money. You know, well, and and you guys, you talk about you know when you started, I mean, and really you, you kind of kept this up for a good part of the, of the entire career. Everything was very, uh, very DIY for you guys. It was, I mean, yeah. it was you creating everything, playing everything. And then is it, is it still that way for you or is it as the technology changed the way you approach recording? Well, the answer to the last thing is yes, it has, the technology has changed, but probably more importantly, we have a huge number of other people now supporting us, including the band members but also, you know, all the whole, the whole structure has changed a lot since, you know, I think we, st we started out, we, we didn't have a manager and we had a friend who was going to help us do, uh, do the live show uh, by running the tape recorder, but it was, it was, it was uh, very low key and inexpensive. We, we toured in a van initially. So yeah, we have, we have all these people now that are involved and that, that's, made a huge difference to the whole enterprise yeah. i mean a lot a lot of the kind of ordinary uh concerns like the way that we sell merchandise and stuff we've got uh, plenty of other people who are <laughs> doing the doing the heavy lifting there you know yeah well that's uh, and that's probably for that's probably for the best absolutely yeah. yeah one of the things that you guys had done which i thought was such a clever idea at the time and and in hindsight, it, it's actually very, very forward thinking. You talk about, you know, merchandising yourself and promoting yourself and, and, and just the marketing of the band, the whole dial a song thing. I yeah. was really very interesting. I mean, every, for people who don't know every, I don't know if it was every day or every couple of days, you would put another demo on a, a answering machine and yeah. people could call it 24 hours a day and, yeah. and hear it. And this lasted for, seven i mean 85 to 2008 i think it was and i remember calling it a lot and and uh and not being able to get in and then being angry about it but you know looking at it at it now really what you guys had created probably unknowingly was the earliest form of social networking there was i mean how many how many people put their stuff on on Bandcamp to be heard you guys had a bunch of answering machines <laughs> answering calls 24 yeah. hours a day yeah, I mean it's it's I think I would say it's like not not quite the same. It's definitely it definitely wasn't as interactive, especially after the first year or so as, you know, contemporary social media is. I mean, we we did initially start out with this idea that we'd listen to incoming messages, but eventually that was just it was too much. We couldn't actually get through all the messages. So we we stopped the there's a way you could set up the machine where it would just play the song and and uh, not record the the uh, incoming message. Uh, so we switched over to that, and um, I would say in some ways it's not really at all like contemporary uh, music. You know, way, ways that contemporary musics are 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 distributed and listened to, except in the in, in the one specific that people do use their phone to listen to, to music and that was that was us we yep. that's what we were doing yeah so just in that one i mean i know it's like it's it's about as different as it could be just with that one uh with that one similarity 
it wasn't the it wasn't the technology of the future at no. all. It, no, but it, it was, was the technology of the present. It's kind of like an analog rotary dial version of TikTok. I I guess I I hesitate to compare it at all to the present, but I think it was it was brilliant. It was John Flansburg's idea, and it was a brilliant way to circumvent uh, all the other channels, the record store, the radio station, um, all, all of those, even, you know, live performance, everything. It was just, here's this, you can have a direct relationship to, to They Might Be Giants and just sit in your home. And I suppose in that sense, also, it's, it's similar to nowadays that people can, can access stuff without getting out of bed. Um, and so that, that, that was, you know, maybe anticipating a, a, a desire uh, that people had to do that, but, but obviously it, it played out in a very different way. And, and um, you know, it was just a, a great, um, a great hook because it was unusual. It was also just we, a weird way to get the music out there. And that in itself was a conversation piece. A couple of years later, you guys released the album flood. And I know that, uh, you know, the, the, that the plan had been in this last tour to play it in its entirety. I don't know if you're, if you're still doing that in, in the tour you're getting ready for, but we are, we are. Yes. Yes. It, 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 and as great as it was the, the flood record, I mean, you guys have made a lot of great records. I mean, you know, Lincoln and join us and yeah, you know, John Henry, and you, you could literally go on forever, but there's something about flood that seems to have connected to people in a way that maybe no other, they might be giants album, did in, in in your view what is it about that record that that resonates so well i that's a great great question i don't know the answer i mean i i i am I'm, I'm too close to it maybe to really understand it i guess i i think we we had i mean i would say like in the abstract we had a kind of youthful energy at that time but we'd also had the experience of already having put out two successful indie releases so it was a great uh, convergence of our sense of who we were and the amazing apparatus of a major record label, you know, that, 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 and that had international distribution. So we, you know, we was, it was really like we were launched like a rocket on, on that, you know, on that occasion. And luckily we were, we were kind of ready, you know, we were actually not that young. We were, we were both pushing 30 <laughs> when we uh, recorded flood so i so we didn't have that sort of problem of of you know that like um child actors have where they they get a huge amount of exposure and they're too young to really cope with it i think we we felt like we were emotionally prepared for that um but yeah what why was flood so appealing i i don't i don't know the answer to that i i i'm i'm grateful that people like it so much i think you know from from my perspective i almost think like Lincoln might be a better record, but I think, uh, okay. like flood and, and, uh, and, and birdhouse in particular, I think that, you know, that song was maybe the first time where people start hearing a little bit more complexity in the way you're writing songs. I mean, it's, it, there's, okay. you know, to have a song like that be, well, technically the second song on the, on the record and have that be the, the single was just, I mean, it was a, just a win. There's no way to, to, des to describe it. I keep saying the word infectious, but I really do mean that. It's it's the melody of it grabs people. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I believe you. Yeah. I don't, again, like, <laughs> I don't, it's it's uh, it's very hard to be inside the project and understand what it means to other people. I I think that's true for any artist. So, 
you know, we I get I get that that you know we knew that that was the single when we when we recorded the album we knew that that was the obvious candidate for uh, kind of being that billboard for the rest of the rest of the album and so that was one of the four tracks that we got Langer and Win Stanley to produce and we focused attention on it and we were you know we wanted it to be good but we wanted it to be interesting in the way that we like our our. Uh, our stuff to be you know i think there's some thresh there's a threshold where you can be too complex or too clever and then you start to lose people so we we were trying to make it as appealing as we could but keep some of the the complexity and the mystery of uh of what we liked i wanted to ask you about the about another part of the catalog which i think is absolutely phenomenal any any parent will agree that music for children is by and large garbage. Uh, you guys did a couple of uh, of kids records. Uh, two of them nominated for Grammys. Here comes science, and then here come the one, two, threes. And I think any parent who's played the baby belugas and the banana phones, uh, this was a real breakthrough for kids records because it was done. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know the real germination of why you guys decided to do kids records, but it made so much sense. To parents and it was like finally something something good I can play my play for my kids. Yeah, well, I suppose that was there was a conscious effort on our part to um, make it not irritating for parents. You know, I, I was I was the parent of a young child uh, when we were doing these projects, and I knew that kids tend to listen to the same thing over and over again, and so you'd you'd better you'd better be prepared to 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 hear a lot of repetition um so i think that you know we were kind of aware like oh yeah we we want this to be something that kids like but also that that uh we like and that the grown other grown-ups will like and we also i spoke to a friend of mine who was who was uh also an artist who did work for children at the time and uh she said she said approvingly like oh i see you you're not thinking that you have to lower the quality because you can get away with doing <laughs> less interesting stuff for kids which i don't know whether that's true or not but but it does seem like like you said there's a lot of stuff where people are kind of second guessing kids and and making the stuff not particularly appealing for adults out of some sense of formula of music for kids that we don't we adults don't actually like but yeah. we imagine is you know it's like pouring more sugar into the into the baby food you know like yeah well, i would but i bet the kids will love it i had three kids and and, and a lot of times you would we'd get music or someone would send us something and, and and we'd listen to it and there was something about a good deal of it that was so it was almost kind of insulting to to the kids themselves there's something condescending yeah. about it and absolutely like so now like when you hear a kid listen to the, the theme song for baby shark it's absolutely insipid so to have something that has some sort of educational value to it, yeah. you know, really was like, oh, thank God, someone, someone's taking children's music seriously. Did you? Were you having to shield your your kids from certain things just to keep to make sure they didn't get get sucked into it? Like, well, you know, initially we I'd see like a you know, like there'd be something on television the kids would be mesmerized by, like at the <laughs> time, like the Teletubbies, and the first time oh, yeah. they're watching the Teletubbies, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. It's a show that they can you know, become zombies too and zone out and I can get stuff done. But after like about right. a month of that, you're like going, 
I don't want my kids watching this anymore. It's it's, it's absolutely <laughs> absolutely bananas. And so yeah, yeah. you know, they're all uh, adults now, and I was able to introduce them to they might be giants and you know other bands, and I just thought that well, maybe thank God I did that <laughs> because they could have been stuck and and uh, you know with Barney music for the rest of their lives. Right. Yeah. Well. Ki- yeah. Kids. Kids make their own choices, but you um, have the opportunity to uh, invoke a Stalinist censorship on the on what come if you if you if you're you know if you're able to now it's probably easier nowadays, right? Like you can you can uh, stuff. As, as I told you before, I, I had taken my oldest daughter to see Sparks you know last year, so it's a big leap from Barney and the Teletubbies to you know Ron and Russell Mail. <laughs> and, sure. uh, and and she had great appreciation for the show. So Excellent. You talk about the the, the Grammy nominations. Uh, Book was nominated for like a packaging Grammy, best box or limited edition packaging, only to lose to some uh, Grateful Dead uh, box of bootlegs. But but tell me about the album because the art direction for both the album and the companion coffee table book were really really clever and really well done. T- tell me about about that project. Okay. Well, it, well, um, we, uh, this was, I have to say, Flansburg was steering the, uh, the ship on, on the packaging. And that's kind of his, that's kind of his specific area of interest is he, he's always been interested in the design and packaging and, and packaging in the sense of, um, in the sort of general sense of, of, uh, how do you present what you're doing, you know, uh, and, well, we ha- you know we have this great uh, set of people that we work with who uh, did the typography and and I mean the the photographer was someone we didn't really know but he uh, was introduced to us by the the um, typographer and he he seemed exactly appropriate for the to to match with the with the book of of they might be giants lyrics that we had. Put out. Um, so you know, we we're just thinking, and John specifically was thinking in terms of a of a kind of a coffee table book. And then we thought, well, so the idea is it'll be the same size, the same dimensions as an LP. In other words, like you know, twelve by twelve inches. And um, so it could, we could package it with a vinyl uh, LP. I don't think we've done that yet, but but that's I suppose that's still an, an, a possibility that it could be. It could also contain vinyl. Um, the 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 version you get now has a CD and also instructions for linking to a, a place to download all the music. And then there's these wonderful typographic uh, arrangements of the lyrics, which to me are kind of reminiscent of the uh, stuff that the character in The Shining is doing when he's trapped in the Overlook Hotel. You know, and he's typing out the same sentence over and over again. Right. Um, so it, it looks like that. It's, it was done on an old-fashioned electric typewriter. You know, it's so it looks kind of demented. There's some of the type is overlapping, and and um, uh, it has a great effect. It just looks very, very compelling and beautiful. I think, and that was the that was the idea. You know, we we had writ we had recorded and written some of the album before we came up with the book package. Uh, but the idea was to present the whole thing as a, you know, as a, as a single work of, of art. I was reading because, I mean, obviously this had come, you know, part of the pro- a good deal of the project came before and during the pandemic. And I was, I was reading another interview with the, with the both of you where it was it explained that in, in many ways, 
the pandemic was actually a benefit to this project because it allowed you the time to spend completing the music or spending more time on the book that the 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 time away was actually good for the 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 final version of it yeah i suppose that's true we 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 were definitely had had a lot more time uh, um to uh be around the house uh doing this kind of work and uh it 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 was a problem for our our touring we pretty much uh we we didn't play any shows in um 20 one i guess i think we we played a few shows at the beginning of 2020 and then that came to a halt and then 2021 we were we were just completely out of action so we did a number of things we um did we flansburg proposed that we do some other side projects for the um fan club so i put together an ep for that and um uh john has started work on his although he's i somehow didn't manage to get get it done yet but he's he's I, he <laughs> insists that he's gonna be done soon with that and then you know obviously we got we got to take care of some household uh chores as well uh, like everybody else i tried looking uh, around to see if there was any indication of any uh, of any new music from you guys and i've seen a couple of reddit posts that said that you guys are working on new music what yes. what is the status of that i mean is is there stuff in the works and, and how far into it are you yeah, we've got, we've probably got about, uh, hmm, I'd say maybe 15 songs that are tracked now um, with the band. And um, that means that we've done all the basic tracks and maybe some of the overdubs, some of the vocals and things. Um, and, uh, we, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll do another 15. If we get like an even 30, I think, then we can take the stuff that we like that fits together well and make an album out of that. But that's that's as far as we've gotten. And we're, we're gonna be touring a lot this year. So so we'll be doing both. We'll be in the studio and uh, all over the all over the world. So since you guys are gonna be spending so much time together, do, when you are on tour, do you find yourself working on songs while you're while you're touring or, uh, or we've not never really? really done that. Yeah, we, 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 um, we don't tend to write on the road too much. Uh, there was one exception to that, which is we did a project uh, almost 20 years ago where we wrote songs uh, at sound checks. Um, so at each gig, we would write a song and then record it. And they were obviously very simple and short. Uh, uh, but that was a package we put together that came out in, I think, 2005, maybe, um, called Venue Songs. So there were songs for each each venue that we were playing in. We we did a lot of songs on that occasion. I don't know how we got the energy to do, to do that because you know we were in the middle of touring, uh, and generally, as I said, we we are really not up for doing a lot of writing and recording while we're also the touring tends to re, you know require all our all our energies. I want to ask you about your your working relationship with uh, with Flansburg because it, it, mm -hmm. you know I've been in long term you know working relationships and and the thing that I find is as well as you may work together in the in the final analysis no relationship is a straight line and sure. it's it's hard to work with somebody for an extended period of time regardless of who they are just you know people are yeah. are different you mature you got different uh, different priorities but you guys have been working together fairly consistently for 41 years yeah it's yeah. actually pretty remarkable well, i mean it's you know i mean there's always creative differences from time to time it's just you know part of being a human being but how has that relationship 
changed over the years between the two of you? Well, I don't know that it has changed a lot. I mean, I, I think we uh, we try and respect each other's spaces, and we're both subject to the same kind of sensitivities and and uh, self doubt that any creative person has. You know, so I think when you know that, you try not to be too harsh in your criticism. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that's really important, and and um, you know, so I think that's part of it is we try and really respect each other's space. And we mostly write individually. So, we, you know, we're, we're kind of like, a lot of the time, we're just each in our space doing creative work. And then we bring it together with the when we meet up with the other musicians. And we are both sort of involved in the production of the other person's songs. But again, you know, we're, we try and be very respectful of each other because I think we value this project enough that we don't want to mess it up, you know? So that's a big part of it. Uh, um, I think that John would probably agree with me that when we're, either of us is working, uh, we're thinking about what the other person's criticisms are going to be, you know? So when I'm sitting here in this room writing music, I think, Oh, John will never go for this, you know. <laughs> so that so that influences the whole pro process, right? Yeah. Does it, does he offer you the 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 same respect? Um, I I I don't I can only imagine. <laughs> I think I think he I think he does, and I think he um, also I think there's a healthy competition where we're 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 trying to impress the other person, you know, like look at look at what I just came up with, you know, and all right, so what do you got, you know? Kind of thing and uh, so there is there's definitely some of that and that's that's a great when that works that's really uh, a, a great spur for for both of us i think a couple of years ago we, we, we mentioned sparks at the beginning of this a couple of years ago uh the the male brothers decided they were going going to perform 21 albums in 21 nights oh, in, right, yeah. in their entirety you guys have 23 records yeah <laughs> Amongst just the two of you, what is the ver the likelihood that the two of you guys would ever do something like that? I think it's, I would say it's unlikely. <laughs> um, and the, re the reason I say that is that I'm so acutely aware of how much work is involved in mounting even a show of one album, you know, that we generally do, we do a lot of rehearsing. We, you know, rehearse for, for a couple of weeks with our guys just to get, a whole raft of one album's worth of songs up and running. Um, Cause we've done a lot of album shows we've done. I know we've done show. We've done, done uh, Lincoln, Lincoln shows. We've done, um, we must've done most of the nineties albums by this time. Yeah. Um, obviously we're doing a flood show now. We've, I think we've done a first album show. I know we also in New York, we did a, a whole uh, the else which was our mm. 2007 album, did a whole show on that. And obviously when the albums come out, we're, we're also doing the songs uh, from those albums to promote the, to promote the album. Um, it's a lot of work and we're old men who have short <laughs> limited memories for, uh, we have limited, we have limited hard drive space for yeah. a whole, whole repertoire well, um, I, I think i think ron and russell would both agree that uh while it was kind of cool to say we did it 
they would never, ever do it again. <laughs> and I, and I no, can totally I, yeah, understand yeah. why. Totally understand yep. why. I get that. So this yeah. this tour that's uh, that's about to start, some West Coast states, some in the Midwest, like you know Texas and Oklahoma. But then you guys head to Australia and then a bunch of U.K. shows that are already sold out at yeah, towards yeah. the end of the year. That's really a, exciting. that's yeah, that's really really cool. I mean, I I know you you've you've toured you know, other areas of the world before, but to have a tour where you know you're going to a packed house, I mean that's, and, and this far in advance, I mean I think that's uh, that's got to be pretty exciting for you guys. It's great. It's really good. I, I I you know not I wasn't expecting this at this point, but it seems like we've had a a real surge in interest post COVID, and I'm not sure what's what the reason is but we're playing we're playing bigger rooms than we used to now so um something uh something has changed uh a little bit that we're 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 now getting we're now drawing b- bigger crowds than we than we did a couple of years ago and and that's great that's i mean that's <laughs> that's not what you expect at this point no it's it's not what you expect when you're playing to 10 people in a little coffee house in you uh, <laughs> in new york somewhere and then all of a sudden you're filling you know the hollywood bowl and a few other places it's amazing well john i you know, i i've been a big fan for for a long time it's a real pleasure to talk to you i, I wish you luck on on the tour and i hope uh, a new album comes out i don't know within the year or so i i'm sure i'm sure there's no timeline at it yet but uh, i'm looking forward to it yeah, no, it'll it'll happen. It's definitely it's definitely in the works now. Um, I'm sorry you can't come to L.A. and uh, <laughs> see us there, but uh, you well, know, hopefully it'll all go well. Oh, we're gonna and we're gonna do some TV. We're doing, uh, I guess, uh, Jimmy Kimmel when we're out there as well. Oh, good. Uh, that'll be this. That'll be in the next few weeks, actually. So uh, we're going to we're going to the California um, in in about a week. So yeah, lots and lots of touring coming. Well, John, thank you for spending some time today. It's great to great to see you, and best of luck. Thank you. Nice, nice speaking with you. Absolutely. Right. Thank you, John. Yeah. Appreciate okay. it. So there you go, John Linnell from They Might Be Giants. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, share it, subscribe to it, tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at backsatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.